I'm recording. Shut up. It's Two Dummies. With Devin Ruskin and Noah Bender. Ayo. <laughs> Wait, I want to do it. To begin a podcast. <laughs> good morning, good afternoon, Merry Christmas, and hello and welcome to Two Dummies with Devin and Noah. And we're getting academic today because our guest this week is a Has professor. A PhD. Of, yep. A pretty huge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> Our guest this week is a professor of comedy, a scholar, an improviser, a PhD, and all around a silly, silly guy. Please welcome Matt McMahon. Hey, everyone. What is up, Matt? I'm How's trying it? To You're trying to clap. Devin, okay, <laughs> should we just get right into it? Devin, you broke your clavicle. You're, you're like, you yeah. are you're incapacitated at the moment can we do dumbest thing of the week first i like really just need to get this off my chest yeah okay sure okay. okay so i went on a run on sunday with my dad which we usually we try to do that saturday and sundays and i'm like at 10 minutes into my run and all of a sudden i literally just trip on absolutely nothing and fall and not put my hands down. I just fell right onto my shoulder. And then I can't remember anything after that, except for the fact that I was so nauseous. And I was just like sitting there. And the neighbor's like, are you okay? Do you need me to drive you home? And my dad's like, no, she's fine. Get up, Devin. Like, Stop being a drama queen. You're fine. Because <laughs> I, I am a bit of a drama queen. But... You were just running and you stumbled. I I don't know. I just It's like you suddenly forgot how to run, how to walk, how to be upright. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Like my shoe wasn't untied. There was definitely nothing I tripped on. You had a bit of mechanical inelasticity. Mm. One of my favorite concepts ah. from from Matt McMahon's class. Wow. Deep cut. <laughs> I know. To Henri Bergson's essay on laughter. Yeah, to to Omri Burks. Hey, I've 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 studied that essay in many a paper. Mm, fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad it was useful to you. Yeah. Anyways, Wait, back, let, let me, back to me. Fine. Back to me. <laughs> but uh yeah, so I fell and then I was just like, I cannot move my shoulder. And my dad's like, Come on, move your shoulder. We're going home. And then I was like calling my mom, and then my mom was like, "Devin, come on, we like stop doing this. We know you're just doing it for attention." <laughs> and then I was like, "No, I'm like going to the ER right now." So that's how you know, because I take COVID very seriously. Like I, I have not left my house since March, but I went to the ER, and they were they took my X-rays, and they're like, "Yeah, you broke your clavicle," which wow, I've never broken a bone, and uh, now I'm an adult, and I broke my bone, which is so embarrassing. I usually make fun of adults who break their bones. <laughs> I'm one of them. This like leads into a discussion, Mr. Professor of Comedy, of like <laughs> things like things that are painful but also funny. Like this is like definitely objectively unfortunate, but it's also like but it's really funny. Really funny that it happened. Yeah. Well, you cited one of the reasons. It's just this idea that suddenly your body, which is supposed to be adept at like fixing a situation like that, like catching yourself when you fall, 
suddenly your body just forgot how to do all of the basic things a toddler learns. Yeah. (laughs) There is that. It's just like seeing a body just flop really hard for no reason at all. (laughs) Yeah, the doctor was like, did you put your arms out? And I was like, no. Why would I do that? Yeah, like that's not how you do that. That's not how you fall. But uh, apparently that's actually how you fall. Um, And uh, it reminds me of uh, Ellen has a bit. Not that I love Ellen, but she (laughs) has a really great bit from her HBO special that came out like, I don't know, 20 years ago Uh about falling for no reason as an adult and how humiliating that is. And how it's always like so traumatic for the individual. It's like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Fine. <laughs> you don't want anybody to help you. <laughs> yeah, and it's this isn't the first time I've fallen this quarantine. I've fallen off my bike three She's times. She's fallen a lot. She's fallen a lot. <laughs> I've talked about it on the podcast. I've scratched up both of my knees so hard. I still have permanent scars. But <laughs> I actually broke something. Devin told me I really wish I had been hit by a car so that at least I could blame somebody else. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe even get some cash out of it. Exactly. Like I could sue and maybe get money from it, but this one's fully my fault and no one to blame but myself. Yeah, it's all on you. No external factors. You can't even like sue your homeowners association for like having a hazard in the road or on the sidewalk. But all I know is the best feeling was when I came out of the ER with this brace and my dad was like, I messed up. Should have been Yeah, then that's the other side of this story. Your parents not doing anything that a parent is supposed yeah. to do. Because <laughs> I've fallen so much this quarantine that they thought, oh, it's just another like another little blip in her yeah. life. But you're the boy who cried wolf when it comes to your own pain. They kept saying that they were like, "You're crying wolf. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> come on, come on, shut up, Devin." But now, but now my mommy fed mom fed me the other day. Like the day it happened, I couldn't move so much, so my mom fed me my dinner. Oh boy, she and did. So, she did. Here comes the airplane and everything. Yeah, I was FaceTiming no one, and my mom was like, <laughs> <laughs> "So then you've been reverted back to this childlike state." Sadly, that that's what happened because of quarantine. But now it's just gone like two two levels deeper. It's. Ugh. Yeah, quarantine, living with our parents, and like being at home all the time totally feels like we're. regressing back to high school like Mm -hmm. if like quarantine feels like you're grounded like that's that's absolutely um but now you're you're regressing even farther back to like three years old where you like fell and your mommy has to help you eat broccoli and stuff my mom washed my hair yesterday (laughs) i can't move my arm so i was just going like this and she was like here i'll do it so she washed me oh my gosh yeah yeah i feel for both of you and everybody who graduated when you all did because it's like at this stage in your life in particular you're desperate for momentum of any kind right any source of momentum and the quarantine has completely shut that down yeah, like yeah. at this stage in my quote unquote career, I'm not expecting to be, you know, getting a Netflix deal any of these days, but I would like to be meeting people and meeting, like collaborating with people my own age. And like, because what we're supposed to be doing is like making train, content, training, making content, and building a body of work and building a network of people to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we don't have access to any of that. 
Yeah. And just general adulting. Like, yeah, that's remember, true. Like the, the basic. First, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like, I remember constantly having a panic attack uh, after I graduated and I moved to New York by myself just because I was so stressed about messing up every little thing I was doing grocery shopping, laundry, like just having like all the forms I needed filled out, filled out, you know, that kind of shit. Yeah, those kind of first like bastions of like real independence, I feel like are important to have that kind of fear as a as a young person and be able to figure out these things on our own as opposed to just like being like I said it felt it felt like the longest summer vacation of my life, but now it's like summer summer detention. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel that way too. Cuz it's like, oh, I get to work from home. Awesome. But now it's like it now it feels like I'm like, like trapped, and partly because of winter, you know. Yeah. But like, oh yeah. Yeah, I'm definitely over. What's it been like teaching comedy classes over the computer? I'm sort of lucky in that my classes are, you know, they're lecture based, they're discussion based, and um, that kind of works fine on Zoom. Yeah. The in terms of getting information out, I'm able to do that just fine. Almost to the point where I was like, I hope they don't make this class permanently online because you kind of could do it. Uh, and you could up the enrollment like crazy. <laughs> right. Because just to be clear, for we had you for Evolution of Comedy 1 and 2. And is that what you're doing on, on Zoom? Because you also teach some performance classes too. Yeah. I have taught like improv and sketch. Um, but this year I'm only teaching quote unquote studies classes. Um, and I'm so happy because I, I like my class transports fine to an online format, but like it's I, yeah, yeah, exactly. But the acting classes, oh, I feel so bad for those students and those professors. They're yeah. trying to make it work, but it just, I mean, it's going to be watered down and not the same, no matter how, how adaptable the professors and the yeah. students are. Yeah, last semester I was taking an acting class and it just turned into a self-tape class. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we've seen, because Noah's been doing these like Zoom musicals. Yeah, and I've been whenever, doing a lot of Zoom theater. Yeah, it, it's it's a good thought, I think, but the the outcome is such a mess because everyone's singing at different times. And... They're great to do, terrible to watch. They're not meant I'm, to be watched. I have to say, I am such a good friend because yes. I have been going to these performances and they're such a hot mess. <laughs> well, the, but, the allure is that you get to, you know, just read the script right in front of you, put on a full-on musical that you would never get to do with no preparation. Like we did we did Wicked just with, with, with no rehearsal. Like we did Les Mis a couple weeks ago with no rehearsal and no conductor. It was a shit show, but it was just fun to just do it with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're still, you know, getting to be creative. You're you're still building connections. And if you're not really concerned about product, yeah, um, then it, it, there's so many benefits to it. Uh, I, I was watching James Corden uh, the other day and some kid has been making like TikTok musical videos about like, being life, like life in quarantine. And he made one about Thanksgiving and how much it sucks. And it was just him singing yeah. in about 15 seconds. James Corden and his you know, excellent team of editors layered on a bunch of famous Broadway stars singing in tandem with him, like oh, late cool. style. And it was phenomenal. Yeah, I think they're doing such a good job 
I think Corden's show's doing a great job, and I love that um, the head writer's, like, now his sidekick, and I think that that's pretty good. I'm trying to think, like, other late-night shows. I honestly, like, haven't been watching comedy. I kind of took a break from it, and I've been watching America's Next Top Model and just reality shows. I, I've kind of just plateaued. I, I I don't know what to do. I think that's fine, you know, because it's like if all you watch is comedy, people like, what is your life about? Yeah. yeah, like there there was a time, like especially majoring in comedic arts, being in college, being being feel like I have to stay abreast with everything that's going on in the comedy world. I have to see what Colbert said. I had to see what yeah. Kimmel said. I have to see what Conan did. Like, and I can't like. I mean, it, it seems like definitely after after quarantine, I feel like there's there's no need for daily daily comedy shows anymore. Like for real, like everybody's moving to weekly because no one wants to keep up with seven different shows all at once that are just talking about the news. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely a content overload, and it it becomes like I don't know. As, like as a professor of this stuff, I feel like I'm I'm doubly responsible for knowing any new voice in the industry but it's like i can't keep up i honestly cannot but your specialty is is 17th century italian theater anyway so that all (laughs) happened 400 years ago and honestly the reason i decided to write about something old was like they're dead (laughs) and they're not doing anything new (laughs) because i was like at first i was going to write about like new avant-garde theater and stuff like that but lots of people were writing on the same thing i was writing about and there's constantly new articles coming out, new takes coming out, new performances coming out. I'm like, man, to be an expert of this, I would have to be just like my my ear to the ground all the time. Whereas like, there's something nice knowing that like those 17th, 17th century, 18th century actors I study, there's like a finite period of time in, on this planet where they were even relevant. <laughs> That's all I have to focus on. And all those books are already there. Yeah. <laughs> Can can you can you tell us a bit about your book? You you said okay. you said you were just finishing a book on Italian theater, right? Yeah, and I just finished it. Um, so I I sent the final draft off to the publishers and still waiting to get proofs and stuff back. Um, but yeah, ultimately the writing's done, uh, and I'm thrilled about that. So the title is called Border Crossing and Comedy at the Teatro Italiano, seventeen sixteen to seventeen twenty three. Um, and it sounds like kind of an esoteric topic because I write about a troupe of Italian commedia dell'arte actors who wore masks and played stock types and improvised. They move to France and try and make a French audience laugh. And so what the book's really interested in is the, that politics of transfer. What does it take for a comedian to move from one country to another and make a foreign audience laugh? What are the... What are the um, the issues at play, including translation, but also national identity and stereotypes and what that country thinks about your home country, all of that interplay. I love that because yeah, like so much like beyond a language barrier, there's so much that that people just find funny, regardless of, of like what how how you're understanding the words. Yeah, it's like if I were to tell you I was a Scottish comedian or an English comedian or Irish, um, you would have perceptions immediately of what that means about me. Like I'm Irish, for example. You'd think I was gonna make a lot of jokes about, 
any sort of stereotype attached to the Irish who like to drink and like to fight and have this strong accent. Um, so like your very national identity imposes a narrative on top of you that as a comedian, you have to address because right. the audience is already thinking it. And if you don't address it, they're going to be wondering why you didn't address it. And so that's why like so many comedians, if there's something visible about them that an audience is thinking, they're going to address that first. Even if it's just like, I've got a funny face, I need to talk about the funniness of my face before I can get on to anything else. Especially when you're like kind of a foreign person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. And you add race or ethnicity on top of that and it gets way more complicated. Yeah, no one I get it. Our first thing we ever say is we're Jewish. Doidle, doidle. Yeah. <laughs> Spin the dreidel. Yeah, and, I've actually been re I've been I've been reading a great book about uh, Jewish humor, and it's like really like opened my eyes to like I I really I really like like breaking down what makes something funny. I feel like that that kind of enhances it for me, and especially reading about like Jewish comedy as it, as it pertains to like my own identity and like how I kind of naturally think of think of what makes me funny i guess like it's been really eye-opening in that way yeah what's the book called it's called let there be laughter mm -hmm. um like a history of jewish comedy and what it all means um but it's all it's all and it's all it, it and it's all like jewish jokes like the the, <laughs> the the one that i remember is um two two guys are arguing on the street over the pronunciation of the 50th uh, United United State, is it Hawaii or Hawaii? And so they and so they see this this old Yiddish man who who looks wise, and they say, uh, "Old man, you, you look you look like a wise sage. Um, could you please settle this dispute for us?" And they say, "Is is it Hawaii or Hawaii?" And he says, "It's Hawaii." They said, "I knew it! I knew it! I knew I was right! Thank you so much, uh, old man. We are we're we are very grateful." And he says, "You're welcome." Uh, 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 uh. I'm gonna insert some huge laughter in there. Just yeah. <laughs> that's the thing with a lot of Jewish jokes is like I don't even sometimes know to to laugh. Yeah. A friend of mine told me a Jewish joke, and I probably shouldn't even tell it, but I'm going to. No, we, I love Jewish jokes. Um, so this man's at a restaurant, and, he, and he's like, "Waiter, um, um, uh, uh." Fuck, <laughs> I'm already ruining the joke. We'll cut, we'll cut this part out. We'll cut this part. <laughs> oh, the, the waiter. Uh, he's like, waiter, can you um, can you taste this soup? Something's wrong with the soup. Uh, and the waiter's like, uh, I can get you a new bowl. He's like, no, no, I want you to taste it. I want you to taste it. I'm like, um, I'm not gonna taste your soup. I can get you a new bowl. Just tell me what's wrong with it. He's like, no, no, I insist. Taste my soup. And the waiter's like, okay, okay. Uh, wait, where's the spoon? And the guy goes, ah, ah. -huh. <laughs> <laughs> My friend told me this joke. He's Jewish and he tells it perfectly because he can do everything about it perfectly. But even the first time I heard it, I was like, what's the joke? <laughs> yeah, like sometimes you have to have the either like implicit knowledge uh, or like the the understanding of, of like how it connects to Jewish identity. Yeah, and that type of person who would rather make you go through this rigmarole to find out there's no spoon on the table yeah then then have the direct confrontation of just saying this is what i think about it 
Yeah. And even yeah. that's the way they acknowledge it. Like, aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. like there's some sort of rabbi who, uh, who've Socratically walked you to an epiphany. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, Matt, I want to know since you, you have studied like Italian physical comedy and com- Commedia dell'arte uh, so extensively, uh, do you have a favorite Lazzi? Can you yeah, can you explain to our audience just in a second what a, what a Lazzi is before we? Yeah, Lazzi is one of my favorite terms in comedy. Me too. Um, it it's been translated by a scholar Richard Andrews as an elastic gag, uh, meaning that like a Lazzi doesn't usually have anything to do with the plot. It's just a throw a joke thrown into a play. Uh, it was often improvised and allowed the comedian or the actor to riff as much or as little as need be. And so if the Lotsi is really working, if the audience is like eating it up, then the, the actor has a license to keep extending it if they need to or keep adding on to it or even incorporating other Lotsis into it. Um, essentially, as long as you've got their attention, as long as they're laughing, you can keep doing it. And then the minute they're done, you move on. You cut it and you keep you go along with the story. And I think it's like it's a great concept, even if you're not an actor. Um, if you're a writer, it's like the scene. The scene needs something. It's not funny enough. It's just extra juice. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So my favorite one has to do with. And by the way, I'm uh, I'm working on a new book. Um, that's basically all it is is a collection of these. Just going through like clown history and finding a bunch of like acts, clown acts like this. Oh, yeah. Um, one of them that we've dredged up is by this uh, 20th century Italian actor by the name of Dario Fo. Uh, F.O. Uh, this guy's amazing. He's like a really talented actor, but also a bit of a scholar and historian himself. He's also uh, a self-avowed anarchist. That's like his political affiliation. Perfect. He wants to tear everything down. <laughs> and uh, he, he's very into sort of Marxist ideology. One of his clown bits is about this peasant who's so very hungry that he starts eating himself a lot. Oh, perfect. And he like, he like takes his eyeball out, <laughs> looks at it, swishes it around his mouth, chomps, and like, mmm. But as he's eating it, he's both relishing the flavor of his own body <laughs> and in excruciating pain. So he's doing both emotions in the extremities at the same time. Like, mmm, oh, 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 mm. <laughs> you know, And I just like playing that duality is just uh, stunning. And the, the idea that he has to create this impossibility with his body, he has to eat his entire self by the end of the bit. That's perfect. I, yeah. I I I wish I could have been around in in 17th century Italy or whatever whenever like to 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 see and even perform these these kind of bits because I feel like these I just love physical gags that have nothing to do with anything like it may, it, it sounds juvenile but I just love when people fall down or or get slapped or 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 when people drop things like when it's just like physical gags not not for no reason but just gratuitously like i feel like that stuff is is often overlooked as kind of lowbrow but that's because it kind of 
produces such a guttural laugh. Like you don't need to re you don't need to reason why someone getting slapped is funny. Yeah. What was the musical that I saw? It was something goes wrong. What the play that goes called? wrong. Yeah, yeah, I saw that and I had zero hope in it. And then I, I saw it. It was like it was very funny because I'm usually not a person who likes physical humor. I think I just want like, I don't know, a dick joke. But I thought something <laughs> more sophisticated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I uh, have very highbrow comedy, but I, I was actually incredibly shocked. It was it was very funny. I, I like, I liked it. Yeah, there's something like, uh, it's like comedy poetry, but like, it also just like, when it's done really well, so to your point, Devin, it just like wretches you out of yourself. And you're yeah. like, you're no longer thinking, you're just reacting. And yeah, uh, I listened to this podcast last night uh, from a psychologist who writes about burnout. Mm -hmm. And she says that burnout doesn't come from, from just regular stress, just being stressed all the time. She says burnout comes from never actually completing a cycle of stress. So you feel stress, but you don't actually work through that emotion. You just like put it away. Even if you've removed the stressor, you haven't dealt with the stress. Mm -hmm. You haven't some, somehow like exercised it out of your body. And she says like one of the best ways to exercise it out of your body is to in fact exercise, you know, to go running or something. But another thing she says that really helps. you running right now. Yeah, well, not only for you, sorry, I didn't mean to trigger um, But another thing that's really great to help actually work through the emotion of stress to get to the other side of it is laughing and a, and a deep guttural laugh. Like you're, you're like slobbering, your mouth is agape, you look ridiculous, but because you're not thinking about your body right now, right? And I, something about physical humor gets to that so quickly. Yeah, where like it, it can't be reasoned and you, you don't, not that you don't understand why you're laughing, but it's it's so simple. Like yeah, like you. So like there there are certain jokes where you where you you break it down and it has a lot of connection to identity and and all these other factors. But sometimes you're just like looking at something and it makes you laugh. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the best feelings in the world is when you can't control your laughter and you're in a situation where you have to control it. Like that's happened multiple times in a class where I've had to excuse myself and pretend to go to the restroom. And it, there's just no better feeling than, I don't know, trying to silence your laughter. Yeah, you're so right. It's medicinal. I mean, it's just the best. The time that, hap that happened to me was not because it, it was inappropriate for me to laugh in the moment, but because I was in physical pain. Um, I had, the day before I went to see Mel Brooks as the producers, um, the Broadway show. I performed in this like Ichabod Crane style, like hayride <laughs> out in the, on the woods. And my job was to be Ichabod Crane and run through the woods screaming <laughs> past people. <laughs> and I didn't do it in a way that was good for my throat or my diaphragm. My diaphragm was literally like in deep, deep pain the next day. I'd like bruised it somehow. <laughs> and so laughing hurt a lot. <laughs> Oh, and then yeah. I went to see the producers and I laughed hard, but I was trying to stop myself from laughing. Yeah, that that's like one of those situations where like you're working against yourself. Like the way the like the thing that, that comes to mind for, for me is like laughing in like church or temple, like mm -hmm. situations where it's like socially unacceptable to laugh. Like I feel like that's where when you get that kind of guttural laugh, 
it the the kind of naughtiness of it can only like egg it on yeah yeah Yeah. and tension's so important to laughter too like you really like a comedian is really a master of creating and dissipating tension um an idea that hannah gatsby talks about so well in her special Mm -hmm. so like when you're in these heightened states of tension where you're not even supposed to laugh you can't actually release the tension fully so you're having to hold on to it and it's actually making the laugh continue longer and longer and longer and longer i love that all right well let's let's uh let's circle back to dumbest thing of the week dumbest thing of the week and then we'll get and then and then we'll get into our game. Matt, I want to hear your the dumbest thing of the week. <laughs> Man, I wish I had something as epic as Devin. I mean, <laughs> one thing I'll say about quarantine is it, it has prevented me from being as dumb as I usually am. <laughs> because yeah, you're just not as active. Yeah. I'm not leaving the house as much, uh, really at all. I'm talking <laughs> to way fewer people. And like usually the number one thing that gets me in trouble is my mouth and just the fact that I like have to fill silence and I usually fill silence with humor and then I end up forcing a joke by being so stupid and saying something <laughs> offensive or weird or inappropriate in the moment. <laughs> That's like 90% of my stupidity. Yeah. Um, so I've had less of that because I'm not talking to anybody except you, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a delight, um, by the way. Uh, the dumbest thing I did this week is I, I've been buying Christmas gifts for my nieces and nephews. Two of my brothers live in California. One lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Another one lives in Orange County. And they don't like, it's not like Los Angeles, San Francisco. Those aren't the addresses. One's like Lake Forest and the other one's like Sun Valley or something like that. Okay. <laughs> they sound like they could be anywhere in California. Yeah. And so I bought a gift for my nephew who lives in San Francisco, but I sent it to LA. Oh, mm-hmm. and it's not interchangeable. Uh, it's not like, sorry, it's actually for you, LA, LA nephew. <laughs> yeah, I wish it, unfortunately not. Cause it's like, it's definitely a gift for like a eight year old boy, not a three year old girl. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> um, but like, I don't know, it, it wasn't that big of a mess up because like, I just like went to Target's website, uh, went to return it and they just said, you know what, keep it. We'll send the other one to the right address. I'm like, what is this benevolence coming from a box store like Target? Yeah. Wow. That kind of, that kind of sounds like um, my uncle recently bought like a wedding gift for like one of his coworkers and like, you know, sent it to his, to their house but forgot to like change back the default address of their Amazon to his own house. So he like accidentally ordered like all this like laundry detergent and groceries and whatnot to his coworker's yeah. house. It was just like, don't, no, don't, don't, don't. Enjoy the laundry detergent. <laughs> Happy wedding. Yeah. So hit us with yours. Such a small mistake, but I will, I'm not the only one who does it, but I would oh, yeah. dwell on it forever. Yeah, because especially in the time of transit, where it's like, is it gonna get there? When will they find out that they that they got the wrong thing? Will they confront me about it? Will I have to like figuring out what 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 you're gonna say to to rationalize your own mistake? Yeah, and I I build up narratives in my in my brain, right? If somebody yeah. did that to me, I'd be like, no big deal. 
Like, who cares? <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't even need to get here on time. Like, little boy Johnny will be fine if his Christmas gifts late. <laughs> <laughs> but when I think about other people, like me doing it to other people, yeah, I'm like, they're, they're their expectations of you. Yeah, I already feel like I'm like the fuck up younger brother because <laughs> uh, I'm not as family oriented as everybody else. I'm really not. Um, I'm. I'm way too focused on my career and my writing and, and not family though. So like I, I do drop the ball the most with family related things. Okay. <laughs> and so this was like another thing that I did, you know, I doubt that I doubt they talk twice about it, but uncle Matt always messing up our gifts. <laughs> <laughs> well, my dumbest, my dumbest thing of the week happened yesterday. It was a bit of a, f a family rift over something really small. So we were, my family was driving to LA the other day. Um, and we, you know, in, in travel, you, we wanted to be really safe and not like go into a restaurant to really go stop at a bathroom or like really see any people, um, because of COVID and everything. And so we, we got a drive through at Carl's Jr. And we wanted to, I wanted to sit, there was like an outdoor seating area that was like completely empty. Nobody was there. But my, like my, my, my mom insisted on, on eating our like greasy cheeseburgers and fries, like in the car with all of our like stuff in it, like in our laps. And so basically I was like, this is so absurd. I'm like pissed about this. And so like, I went out like while the rest of my family was eating in their laps on in the car i went to this like dirty scungy seating area and like wiped off the seat and just like ate my ate my burger like pretty much alone at this at this just like scungy carl's jr while the rest of my family was eating lunch in the car in the crowded car and i was just like what is this situation noah like, yes i hate to tell you but your family is correct <laughs> yeah. you should not sit on public seating why there's nobody there but people have sat there before uh, <laughs> i don't this know this is coming from me i will literally not leave my house ever but i i would never sit on a public seat especially during covid like did you wipe it down with wipes yeah, and lights yeah. all it yeah I wiped it down. Did, the seat was a little know. wet, so I wiped it down as well. Like that, ew. Why would you sit on a wet seat? It wasn't wet after I napkined it. Oh, so you napkined it. You didn't Lysol wipe it. I don't need to Lysol wipe where my booty is going. I mean, I'm just saying COVID lasts on clothes. Really? For... Can I go through my jeans? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just saying. Last, Matt, you're the professor. What are you, what are we thinking here? Yeah, can you get COVID through your jeans? <laughs> From my understanding, uh, this answer is going to make both of you upset. Um, <laughs> contact tracing through like services isn't as big of a deal as we originally made it out to be. Yeah, That's predominantly through human spittle and air and things like that, sharing and air with each other. However. You did have to take a bunch of extra steps, Noah, to sit there when you could have just stayed in the car. <laughs> like, gonna, can it, you? Could you? Sure. But like, did you need to? No. 
I have a certain standard of dining when I'm eating at a, at a fine establishment like Carl's Jr. You're also you're you're dining. He eats like I don't know. I don't have the silver way to explain this, but he eats like <laughs> like he doesn't hold the fork correctly. He just scoops it in. And this, this was a hand meal, though. This was a hand meal. Yeah. yeah it would, oh. Well, you're adding hand meal to that. Then I am worried about surfaces because you just rest your hand on the table. Then yeah. you're touching the burger. Then the burger's touching your mouth. Um, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Fucking really through me, you guys. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I wouldn't really go in the restaurant. I was the only one sitting out there. And I mean, I'm not ordering food. If Wait, I don't, so you went it. through a drive-through, and then still refused to eat in the car. You had to park and then get out. <laughs> That is strange. <laughs> it, was so the, it was one of those drive-throughs where there were like, okay, we'll we're making your food, but like since there's like chicken nuggets involved or something, it'll take like an extra minute. So like, go to a parking space out front and we'll bring it to you. All right. Okay. Okay. Let's move on to our let's move on to our game. In your class, we studied all kinds of. Uh, historical figures in in the context of their of their work and their writing and their humor but now we're going to think about these historical artistic figures in terms of their physical prowess and this is who would win a fight comedy scholar edition <laughs> okay good i was worried physical prowess was going <laughs> in another direction no no okay so round 1 who would win in a fight shakespeare versus Moliere, the famous mm. French playwright. Wow, this is a good one. A really good one. I would say Moliere. I think Moliere is scrappy AF. <laughs> I would hazard that Moliere's probably better with the sword. Yeah. Um, if weapons are involved. Oh, if, oh, oh yeah. Every, everything's allowed. Okay. I don't know if Shakespeare went to jail, but I know Moliere has been <laughs> to jail. And Shakespeare seems too silver spoon. He's hanging out with the queen. Moliere was getting, he was getting arrested for his plays. He was getting, he, he, he wasn't as well received, right? And the guy had to know how to fight because he had enemies. I doubt Shakespeare had nearly as many enemies as Moliere did. Okay, so that, that, that's, that's, okay, that's, round one goes to Moliere. We got this we one. Add a, add a, like a wrestling bell after. That goes like, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> Okay, I'll definitely throw one in there. Okay, so I have Vladimir versus Estragon. Mm. The the characters from from Waiting for Godot. Mm. The tall guy and the short guy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) The head, the the body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, it's kind of like asking me which of the two guys from Home Alone fight they're the same right the same same kind of archetype of like the tall and thin and the short and squat yeah yeah yeah. Mm. because you've got the lank and the lank helps for distant punches right yeah but then the short and stout like if it's like a bulldog situation um (laughs) have y'all have read call of the wild by jack london have you not no (laughs) i read diary of a wimpy kid oh well i I, I know harry potter they're similar they're similar <laughs> well the main dog in call of the wild gets in the fight with the bulldog uh-huh. and at first you think man this the the wolf-like dog is going to win for sure but the bulldog clamps onto the mm. 
dog's neck and just holds on to it until he passes out. And so after reading that, I'm like, short and stocky is always going to win in the end. That's right? I feel the same way. Definitely in the case of waiting for Gatto, for 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 sure, because Vladimir is too, he's too peaceful. He wouldn't want to hurt his, his little buddy. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Vladimir's got some sort of... Um, like a limp. It, like he's got some sort of like, uh, well, he's got a limp. But he's also got some sort of uh, uh, urinal tract infection because <laughs> oh, cool. it like, hurts for him to pee. So I think Estragon would win for that reading a lot. Great. <laughs> okay. All right. Ding, ding. All right. Aristotle versus Plato. Hmm. <laughs> man. I think Plato's just crankier, and so he'd be he'd be much scrappier. He'd be a shitty fighter. He would do anything to win. Yeah. They. they I don't know what they look like but to me they look like the short and squat and tall and thin like i imagine plato as this kind of like ornery kind of stocky round dude and and uh aristotle as this kind of like pompous kind of tall tall mofo yeah i agree Danny devito would be play i uh, would play <laughs> he but he'd be like stupid plato yeah <laughs> yeah he'd play like drunk plato and a more interesting fight would be Aristophanes versus Plato because they hated each other. Oh, were they? Mm. They were. They were contemporaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, Aristophanes wrote in a, in the play The Clouds is the scene where an iguana shits on Plato's head. D directly, <laughs> or 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 like as a, as like a, a metaphor. <laughs> directly, <laughs> an iguana on Plato's head. I mean, Plato wasn't in the play, but the character was. Wow. And speaking of iguanas, it's iguana season in Florida where they freeze up and fall out of trees. So we're, <laughs> we're looking forward to that. Are you in Florida, Devin? Yeah, I live in Florida. <laughs> you live in Gator City. I do. We do have some gators behind me in my lake. Not to brag. Um, but anyways, I have the men Ghostbusters versus the female Ghostbusters. <laughs> So that's that's Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Rick Moranis, and Ernie Hudson versus Kristen Wiig, Leslie Who's Jones, McCarthy? McCarthy, and Ellie Kemper. Kate, Kate McKinnon. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, all those dudes are just dweebs. Like every yeah. single one of them. Yeah, none of them are physically imposing. No. And they all, like, even if they talked a big game, like, you get one good punch in and they all crumble. Yeah. yeah. Like, I'm not, no way I'm having Rick Moranis on my on my team. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, even if the guy hadn't gotten his ass kicked in the last year, I would have oh, yeah. just, just assumed that he always does. Yeah. Exactly. Think about it, numbers game. Rick Moranis is going to be first out in the fight. And then, all of a sudden, you're outnumbered. So I'm, I got to go with the ladies here. Yeah. And they, they probably have more advanced technology anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, we're, and we're talking like in a vacuum where they're equivalent ages. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're not talking about like 65-year-old Bill Murray versus Jones. <laughs> <laughs> like, Yeah, let's see these ladies beat up a bunch of geriatrics. <laughs> exactly. All right. One more. Let's do Mel Brooks versus Seth Rogen. Two titans of Jewish comedy. Wow. 
man, that would be such an awkward fight. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> Seth Rogen's like two feet taller than, than him, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. I still think Mel Brooks could win. What this gives you that impression? I just think he's been through a lot. Was was he ever in the war? He was in World War II. Yeah. Oh, he is that. Seth Rogen just smokes weed. Mel Brooks talks about how like how he learned to be funny was when he was growing up in Hell's Kitchen. And like basically his only defense mechanism was that to make people laugh. So I think he got beat up a lot. And if he got beat up a lot, that means he can probably take a lot. And he has a lot of pent up anger that he needs to get out. Mm-hmm. I feel like even 95 year old Mel Brooks could 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 contend in a fight. I feel like he could he would have a chance. Yeah, because Seth would just get punched and then he would do his laugh. Yeah. <laughs> that is all, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's like the first time I've ever tried that. <laughs> He's like really good. Yeah. Uh, Seth is always high. He is always, always, always high. So like, there's no yeah. scenario, there's no fight where you'd have a sober Seth Rogen. And Mel Brooks is always high. <laughs> wow. <laughs> All right, and scene. Good that's, one. <laughs> that, that's that's a that's a good note to go out on. Uh, Matt, thank you so much for coming on Two Dummies. This was a a great time to. Uh, to, to talking and talking with you and getting to interview you. I mean, we 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 haven't talked since we we've been in school back in Boston. No, L.A. You were he visited in L.A. Oh, that's true. You did come to L.A. Right. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Do you have anything to plug? Oh, to plug? <laughs> oh man, I wish. I wish. <laughs> uh, I just wrote an article about Christmas cards on the conversation. Oh. Uh, and how. Uh, people try to be funny during sad times and why that's a good instinct. Um, well, uh, well, otherwise, I'm not doing anything, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, audit, audit one of Matt's classes. On- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, sure. Um, drop in. I'm teaching a cool class next semester called Border Crossing and Comedy, uh, which is off, off my book, but it's all more contemporary. So talking to about people like Carmen Miranda and Asif Manvi and Sofia Vergara. Mm. Yeah, I, I love kind of like the the ways that uh, that's that like standups can tweak their act globally. Like pe- pe- people who have really risen to the stat like global global status, someone like Russell Peters or Gabriel Iglesias, people who are just like have a different appeal with different uh, nationality groups. Russell Peters is particularly fascinating because they'll go to a region and they will shout out their ethnicity to him. (laughs) Yeah. Like, like, it's like some sort of like, he's like taking suggestions of what to make fun of. (laughs) Yeah. And, and yeah, the, the condition of being so, being so willing to be ridiculed in, in, in a situation like that. Yeah. And you're seeing a lot of a lot more travel shows with comedians. I mean, Conan did it famously. Right. Jack Whitehall's doing it yeah. or yeah. has been doing it. Um, and like uh, Jim Gaffigan's now going like on tour. It's like I'm going to do a stand-up set in Spain, written for Spain. Yeah, like Canada, his his Portland. his last special was just all jokes about Canada. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's kind of interesting. I'm kind of I'm curious to see that. And like think about these comedy shows as a type of travel literature 
Yeah. Uh, travel literature is as old as time. You go a place, you write about how weird that place is, back to your home country, right? Right. Now, like, comedians are doing this uh, as a form of comedy, and it's kind of interesting. Someone just pulled up in front of my house, and I don't know who they are. Is it the sidewalk? Yeah, you know, you're, 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 you're old nemesis. It yeah. wants to finish the job. Curses. Yeah, you got to get revenge on that sidewalk. All right, well, follow us on on TikTok at Two Dummies Podcast. We just uh, we just started a, a, a TikTok page, and um, we're killing it. And we're killing it. We've got like twenty four followers. Woo-hoo. <laughs> um, and thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, we're interviewing my cousin next week. My fourteen year old cousin. All right. <laughs> Have a good day. See you guys. Thank you, Matt. Oh wait. Oh crap. One more thing. Oh Matt, yeah. We ha- as a little send off. We had we make our guests do our little catchphrase. Um, we on Two Dummies are obsessed with uh, chickens and animal noises. So we'd like to ask you to say bok bok bok. I didn't agree to this. <laughs> But since I'm on the spot, no. Bark, 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 bark. Yay. Yay. Thank you. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, everybody. Bok, bok, bye. Bye. Three blocks, not four. Damn it. It's the rule of threes. (laughs) Yeah, you should know this, man.